Welcome back to our book talk segment of the program. Great to welcome right now. Man has written a very interesting book and a very kind of a timely book as well. It is called Understanding E-Carceration, Electronic Monitoring, the Surveillance State, and the Future of Mass Incarceration. He's also the author of the award-winning, this is kind of a follow-up to that, Understanding Mass Incarceration. He's led a colorful life, to say the least. He's an activist, researcher, and writer based out in Urbana, Illinois, and he has lived there since paroling from prison in 2009, so he knows of what he speaks, and James Kilgore joined us uh, by telephone for a few minutes today, and James, good to talk with you. How are you? I'm fine, Doug. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Good to have a chance to, to, to talk with you. I read through the book, and uh, I found it very uh, fascinating, because I've heard the term of, uh, of uh, you know, the ankle monitoring, and that's kind of what it's about, and, uh, you know, prisoners being able to, you know, get out of there, but they're, they're monitored very carefully, and, and you live this, uh, but it, it is also causing a, a problem, uh, as you talk about in the book, e-carceration is the term uh, given to it, so uh, a lot to talk about here. Sure, sure. What, uh, I know you wrote the previous book, as you mentioned, Understanding Mass Incarceration, kind of give a little background, if you would, about uh, what you went through, if you can, and in just a couple of minutes, and then how you came to write this particular book. Well, I mean, I spent six and a half years in prison, but, you know, I was convicted of a series of violent felonies, and uh, when I came out uh, in 2009, I was put on an electronic monitor with house arrest, and I was only allowed out of the house Monday through Friday from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. Right. So, I mean, I had I had some issues with that because I didn't see how that was going to help me be able to re-engage in society, and uh, so I started trying to research it and see if there was any research out there that said that they said a positive impact on people and there wasn't there still isn't but people are still spending millions on putting these devices on people instead of providing them with the kind of supports and resources that they need in order to succeed when they come out of prison yeah the, the, i know the technology of the ankle monitoring it's been around a while but now as you talk about in the book uh, you know so many other things have, have gone along with uh, this type of uh, surveillance if you want to call it uh, what facial sec- recognition software and uh, just the the way that uh, technology can monitor people nowadays uh, recognition apps and so in a, in a sense it's almost uh, more of a punishment to be on this type of uh, surveillance or incarceration, as you call it, than maybe being in jail itself. Is, is that right? Well, I don't, I, I don't want to say that it's worse. I want to say that it's different, but it's not. So it gets framed as, it's a, as if it's an alternative to incarceration, as if it's somehow you know, making a major difference and really changing the landscape. And I think that's where the, the, where the problem lies. It's not changing the landscape. It's maintaining a punitive gotcha mentality over people instead of providing them with the resources they need and it's they're actually surveilled so we're gathering more and more data from people and with electronic monitor as you pointed out it's been around a long time but it's only more recently that it's had the capacity to track and record locations and send that location to the cloud with all the other data that lives there from our lives so it becomes part of a of you, of, if you like a data profile, a criminalizing data profile that can be used against you when you, when you try to apply for housing, apply for work, apply for credit, and so forth. The data from your GPS tracker is part of that, and it's uh, it, and people don't think about it. They just they just assume that they're going to give up all that data every time they log on to an app or every time uh, they go shopping and they go through the 
the uh, digital checkout. Yeah, you make excuse me. You make a great point in the book about that. That uh, you know, even if it isn't a, a case where you you know have been in jail and you're being surveyed that way, what, what are people finding out about us just from everyday life, or we go on uh, the internet or the phone or whatever? So it, it's it's a scary thing to think of, but you add that by what a hundred times if you. We're in jail. Now you're being monitored uh, almost second by second, whether you're, you know, going to the bathroom, go out to, you can't even go out to eat unless they know about it. it it's, it's mentally, I guess it's even tougher uh, to deal with that. Right. As, as a, as a ex prisoner. Absolutely. You're, 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 you're constantly, you're constantly afraid that you're going to do something wrong. Um, and even if you don't do anything wrong, you don't totally trust the technology that it's not going to say you did. So there's a man at the moment who's on house arrest in Chicago named Mohawk Johnson, and he has recorded some 60-odd calls from the sheriff where he, he has a video camera. He's surveilling his surveillance. He has a video camera in his house, and he records his interactions with the sheriff when he's sitting in his living room or sleeping in his bed, and they accuse him of leaving the house without permission. And so... You can't really trust the technology of these devices that what they're recording is actually accurate, which creates a climate of fear that you're going to be sent back to prison or jail for something you never did. Yeah, you almost have to prove that you're not doing something wrong, even when if they're watching right. it. Right, yeah, it's, 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 a, exactly. it's a scary, scary situation. I know we don't have a lot of time today, but you talk in the book about, uh, you know, some ideas of, of what can be done uh, or what may be done. I don't know if this incarceration, and from what you talk about in the book, it sounds like it's growing and growing with the technology, and there's a cost to it, too. I don't think I wasn't aware until I read the book that if you're a prisoner, ex-prisoner on these types of surveillance, you have to pay for that, right? There's a monthly fee. Typically, you're paying... Yeah, typically you're paying five, ten, fifteen, even twenty dollars a day to be on these devices. So yeah. it's uh, it, and 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 think about you're coming out of prison in Illinois. When you're released from prison, they give you ten dollars. So is that <laughs> so all? What you're going to do with that ten dollars? <laughs> yeah, and then you and then if you get put on a monitor where you have to pay, you know, you, and and you can't get out to work, how 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 are you supposed to avoid, you know, the the, the perils of violating the rules? Of the, elect- of the electronic monitors. So it's really, uh, it's a really, it becomes a money-making scheme, but as you mentioned earlier, it's also a form of psychological, you know, torment, but it doesn't just impact you, it impacts everybody that lives with you, all your loved ones, because they also often have to do all your basic chores. You can't go shopping, you, you may not be able to go, uh, you, know, to, you know, to go do your laundry, you, you know, you end up having to, pawn all that off as well as the expense of your daily life onto family members, which becomes very stressful for them and for you, because one of the things you want to do when you come out of prison is being able to be able to contribute to your family's livelihood and welfare. And then the monitor keeps you from doing that. Right. Yeah. I mean, obviously the point of prison is to hopefully rehabilitate uh, somebody where they don't ever want to go back or never do go back so that this is kind of going against that i know some people never do get rehabilitated but you, you've proven it that you've been able to do it but uh, it made it a lot harder for you didn't it doing this incarceration sure and i just feel that i could spend the money much more wisely on providing support for people when they come out rather than this gotcha technology of electronic monitoring which is trying to catch them doing something that that they supposedly shouldn't be doing i mean i know somebody who was on a monitor, you know, some people can't take out their garbage because they're on the monitor. Right. Oh, I knew somebody he had, 
when he mowed his lawn, he would run out, mow one row, and then run back in the house. <laughs> wait a couple minutes till the mom would kick in and mow another row. I mean, yeah, that's, that's, crazy. that's just so, de- so degrading to people and, and pointless. Yeah, I mean, there is a sense of dignity that everybody should get, right? I mean, even if you know if you were in prison, doesn't mean you don't deserve some dignity. So uh, it's, it's it's a difficult situation. I think that's totally right. Yeah, and the monitor does not enhance your dignity. I can guarantee you. Well, the book is very thought provoking. Want to give the audience again a chance to uh, get the full title: Understanding E-Carceration, Electronic Monitoring, the Surveillance State, and the Future of Mass Incarceration. And James Kilgore again uh, knows of what he talks. Is the author, and he's been with us uh, for a few minutes today. James, do you have a website you want to direct people to? I know the New Press is the publisher, right? Yeah, challengingecarceration.org is the website where you can find out more information about about decarceration and also order the book. Great. Well, James, real pleasure talking to you. It sounds like you're, uh, you know, you're doing well, and uh, we wish you to, to continue to do that, and hopefully we can talk to you again. Thanks for being with us. Thanks very much, Doug. You take care. Have a good day. I'm Stan Brock. 30 years ago, I formed Remote Area Medical to help people overseas. But then we found generations of families in America, isolated by poverty from the health care they need. Together, we can take dental, vision, and medical help to a million adults and their kids, right here at home in the United States of America.